the text and, and just got into all the details and every little detail of the text that he thought this was the place that he thought possibly the shipwreck could have taken place. And then he made an amazing discovery. In visiting in a restaurant with several old divers, he discovered that in the 1970s, these divers had discovered four anchors. The anchors were from the Roman era, and they were discovered in 90 feet of water off a sandbar in St. Thomas Bay. And so on the island of Malta, uh, there are four anchors in the Maritime Museum there. Unbeknownst to anyone, they now believe that those are the anchors of Acts 27 and the shipwreck. So, amazing story. And it again, it always amazes me as, as time goes on how the scriptures continue to validate themselves and, and these stories. And so, just a really remarkable story. And if you want to see, there's some uh, extended stories about this online. You just go in and type up, uh, you know, Paul's shipwreck at Malta or finding the anchors at Malta. You can read and hear more about that. So what do we take from this story today, these 10 verses? You know, most of us probably don't have any problems with being shipwrecked or snakes or vipers. Uh, most of us are not involved in mass healings. And so we, you know, we, we read this story and it's interesting, but how do we connect with it? How do we relate to it? Let's just take a, a brief walk through the story, and then we're going to look at one principle again for us as we seek to be about the mission that God has called us to. Just a few details. Um, Malta itself, number of details here. It, the meaning is, uh, it's a Phoenician word meaning refuge. Interesting, isn't it? That this island where the shipwreck took place was called refuge. It's a limestone island. Not real tall mountains or anything, but a lot of limestone cliffs uh, surround this island. It's just south of Italy, to give you an idea of where it is. It's 122 square miles. So think of that. It's an island about 10 miles by 12 miles, a little longer than wide. But it's not a very big island. The population is 415,000. The only place in the world... <coughs> with a denser population is Singapore. So, very densely populated, very prosperous island today. And it has been independent, an independent country since 1964. Just a few facts about this little place called Malta. As we walk through this story, there's a few things that kind of jump out. Number one is, uh, in verse 2, Paul says, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. Unusual kindness. Now you have to realize, you know, there's like 276 people. You know, imagine if 276 people dropped off at, at your house, you know. This is a lot of people. And they were, they hadn't eaten for days. I'm sure many of them were sick. They were soaking wet. All they had was the wet clothes on their back. And evidently these islanders just gathered around these people. And God gave them a heart to show unusual, kind, unusual kindness. And so they built a fire. Had to been quite a fire. 276 people to kind of dry out their, their clothes. And these are not Christian people. You know, non-Christian people can be very nice. Non-Christian people can be very nice. <clears throat> uh, but 
know, people are not people are not Christians because they're kind. People <clears throat> may be kind because they're Christians, but these kind as they were were still people who needed Christ. And it doesn't say a lot about that in the text, but you know Paul as well as I do. These people heard the gospel on this island. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, then there's this incident with the viper that, that grabs on to Paul, and you know he's got this viper on his hand. And how many of you have ever been bitten by a snake? You ever had one get on your hand and you can't get it off? Well, I can, I can, I remember as a kid getting bit by a snake. You know, their mouth is so wide, and then they, they got those teeth, and you got to shake it to get it off. So Paul's shaking this viper off, and from all, from what we can tell, these kinds of vipers were very poisonous, and everybody expected Paul to get deathly ill and probably to die. So as soon as he is bit, they're going, "This guy must be a murderer," because. You know, the goddess Dyke was the goddess of revenge, and they believed that this god was taking revenge on this man. He thought he was saved, but now the god was going to kill him. And then when Paul's sitting there, and he, not only did he not die, he didn't even have any ill effects. Then they started thinking, this guy must be a god or something. And so this is going on with, with Paul as he's there. And then we see he ends up at the house of Publius, who is, he's kind of the big honcho on the island. This is a guy that probably owned the most land. He had the most power. He was the chief official on the island. And, of course, he invites Paul to stay with him. And while Paul is there, he discovers that this guy's father is ill. Very possibly something called Malta fever, which was dysentery and, and uh, also fever. And actually, in in in, it was traced in 1887 to a microorganism which is found in the goat's milk on this island. And so there's a long history of this fever. And Paul heals this man. And word gets out and people come and he heals people all over the island. Now you have to, you know, you have to get a sense here of what's happening on this island. Uh, this is a... You know, this is, a, this is a profound thing. You know, and at the end of three months, at the end of three months, they honored this crew by, of 276 by giving them all of the supplies they needed to finish sailing for Rome. And they couldn't sail during the winter season. As we remembered last week, we saw they were sailing right in the risky time when people didn't sail anymore. And so they had to winter there three months before they could sail on to Rome. That was a long time to show this hospitality, but they did. I think what's one of the things that just strikes me about this story is that, you know, here you have Paul from even the end of the story on the ship. You know, Paul had this vision from an angel. He had made several predictions about what they should and shouldn't do, and people started listening to Paul. Now he comes on the island, he heals this father of Publius and people all over the island, and all of a sudden... Paul is a, we can only imagine, a very revered and a, rare, a very respected person. And here he is, one of the prisoners on this ship. Well, it would be easy to just kind of breeze on and, and head into the second half of this chapter. But there's always a lesson to learn. And so I just want to take here about 10 minutes or so, and I want to just illustrate here you know, the point of this morning. You know what I find interesting? Today, 
Guess what the most Christian nation in all of Europe is? It's Malta. 98% of people on this island uh, call themselves Christians. Now, you know, we can't judge people's hearts, but if you look across all of Europe, this is the island where Christianity has, was at some point obviously really took hold and in some form has continued on there on that island. It's really an amazing statistic. Why do you think that is? The Maltese people take great pride in saying they were the first country to come to adopt Christianity. And historians trace that back to these three months with Paul on the island of Malta. So what's the missional application? That's the question we've been asking of, of each of these stories. What is the missional application here of this story? Well, here it is. I'm just going to share one. And what, what I believe we see here is the impact of a life committed to mission. The impact of a life committed to mission. And the question I would ask you and each of us this morning is, what are you committed to? What are you committed to? I came across a, a little testimonial this week. <clears throat> My career has been a complete whirlwind in ways more successful than I ever anticipated it could be. I'm paying more in taxes than I ever expected to make in a year. I've been incredibly blessed. I was able to bring my wife home from work. Then we purchased our dream house in the exact neighborhood I always wanted to live. I then purchased a BMW, <clears throat> bought a big beach house, and we went on great vacations. Top of all of this, I was growing a business that I truly loved in an industry that I am passionate about. But somehow something was missing from my life. I couldn't figure out what it was. I've been a Christian since I was seven. But through the pursuit of my business and success, I somehow had replaced seeking the Lord with pursuing stuff and success. Then something happened last year that changed my life. I stood in a city dump in Honduras. I saw men and women and children who were living in a dump where they scoured for food and shelter. Humbled by the realities of parents raising their kids in a dump, I reached my breaking point when I saw a woman eight months pregnant walk by me looking for food. I couldn't decide which was worse, the fact that the baby was conceived in the dump or that it was going to be born there. And in the middle of this scene, God asked me, what are you going to do with what I've given you? How are you going to use your influence, your leadership, and your resources in the world around me? And so... You know, we ask ourselves the questions, you know, what are we committed to? What are we committed to? You know, I realize that Paul's, Paul's seems to be kind of in a different league than most of us. You know, he's, <clears throat> you know, none of us is running around healing people. At least, you know, like we see here with, with the Apostle Paul. It seems like something miraculous is always happening to this guy. But I, I want to I share with you that, you know, God will use 
little things to do big things. And I'm not so sure, you know, when Paul left Malta, I'm not so sure he envisioned that, you know, this would become the most Christianized nation in all of Europe. I'm sure some things happened there, but I, I doubt that he had any sense of the implication of that. And so I would like you just to think with me for a moment here this morning. You know, here God uses a shipwreck to transform the beliefs of people on this island for generations to come. I was thinking back in my life about some people. Uh, there was Rick Holmberg, who was my, he was my roommate in college. I went to high school with him. <clears throat> and I was a Christian in high school, but I, I was pretty shy about, wasn't really bold about talking with, you know, with my faith to people. And Rick roomed with me in college, and <clears throat> I actually never talked to him. I never sat down and said, Rick, you know, where are you at spiritually? But I did have a Bible, and I would read it at night for a few minutes before I went to bed. And uh, <clears throat> during the end of my soft, sophomore year, we started a singing group. And my roommate joined the singing group, and we began going around to churches. And, and when, one time he got up, and it was his time, you know, as they do in singing groups sometime, it was his time to share his testimony. And so he shared his testimony. He said, yeah, he said, I, I became a Christian here this a couple semesters ago. He said, Kim is my roommate, and every night I noticed he would read his Bible. And, you know, he didn't know this, but when he would leave the room, I would go sneak his Bible and see what he was reading. And he said, I, I began reading the Bible, and I, I gave my life to Christ. I grew up in a church, and I, I, but I, I just somehow never heard the gospel. And I, I Rick went into the ministry. He was... <clears throat> Uh, in denominational pastoral ministry for over 20 years. And I began to think about the implication of his life and then who he married and then his kids and now probably his grandkids. And, and I'm thinking, you know, all I did was crack my Bible at night and read a few verses. It's kind of a humbling thing, but I look and I say, wow, it's pretty big implications in his life. Uh, there was Gene Dordal, who was another guy that graduated with me and went to college at Valley City State College. We all went to play football there. And uh, I remember one day we had a meeting, and we were going to go out and share our faith, and we had one of these tracks. I hated doing this, <coughs> you know, going out and talking to people. So I took this track, and I shared with Gene, and I probably shared this story before. And I went through these four spiritual laws, and at the end it said, you know, do you want to pray this prayer? And I felt like he was saying... Okay, if you want me to pray the prayer, I can pray the prayer. And he prayed this prayer at the end, and I went on. And I, to be honest with you, I, I went home and I said, I don't know what happened there, but it, it felt so emotionally flat. You know, it's not like what you'd envision if someone comes to Christ. I said, I don't think that meant anything. And I didn't really notice that much over the next two years in college. I went to my 10-year reunion, came back. I met Gene Dordal. He is this man who is on fire for his faith and his family. And I said, Gene, where, where did God get a hold of your life? And he looked at me and said, don't you remember in the student union? And I thought, wow. His whole life has been changed. And you begin to extend out his kids and his grandkids and the impact of that, and it, it starts getting pretty big. I began thinking other, other people and just 
just little things. And then I remembered a story. And I just want to share this story with you. It was a story I heard many years ago. It was the story of how, how God started the Hispanic Bible School in Chicago. And there was a guy, his name was Rob Boyd. He told the story many years ago, and he was old then. And I thought, I wonder if, I could, I wonder if he's still alive. So I called the Minnesota Baptist Conference. I said, you wouldn't happen to know Rob Boyd's phone number. I said, well, I do. In fact, he's sitting right here. Would you like to talk to him? And he's still there and still on mission. And he was involved, and he had told this story one time in our church. And uh, I just remember, I remember the story. And it was this, this Bible school today. This Bible school has, tra has trained thousands of Hispanic pastors. And thousands of Hispanic young people have gone through this Bible school. They're meeting in the basement of a church, cramped, no space, no future. And they needed a spot. And they needed it to be large. They needed it to be beautiful. They needed it to be with a parking lot. And they needed it to be cheap in Chicago, three blocks or less from a transit station. Unheard of in Chicago. And lo and behold, this place came up. And the Hare Krishnas offered to pay cash for it. But instead, they worked out a deal and sold this piece of property for a very good price to Hispanic Bible School. But that wasn't the end of the story because, you see, there was another thing in this story. It just so happened there was an alderman. His name was Richard Mell. In Chicago, there are 50 wards, and each one has an alderman, and they are the king of their ward. They have so much power. And there was a zoning meeting and there were four people, they were like judges, and one woman said, you are Protestant. Hispanics are Catholic. That means that you are going to be proselytizing, doesn't it? And the alderman of the 33rd Ward, Richard Mell, stood up and said, I know these people. They have done more for this city and for these people than all of us Catholics put together. And uh, he just went to bat and the zoning was granted. But it, it didn't start there because nine months earlier there was a, a young man who was a seminarian and he'd gone around to, he had this crazy idea that he was going to put a note in all the aldermen's boxes and invite them to a Bible study over lunch. Just a young man to these very powerful people and lo and behold one of them responded, his name was Richard Mill, and came to have a heart for God through this study. But the story still backs up because Tony Alstrom, who was this young seminarian, lived in the south side of Chicago, in a very run-down area of Chicago. And it was there that he had been brought to church, and it was there that he had come to know Christ, and his life had been changed. But it, it didn't start even there because, you see, there was a single mom with a house full of kids who was exhausted every week. And she had decided that she was going to take her kids one Sunday to that church. And she got up and she brought those kids faithfully week after week after week. But it didn't start with a single mom. There was a woman in church who every Tuesday went out visiting and she knocked on the door of a house and opened the door and there were all these kids and no mom. I said, where's your mom? They said, well, she's having surgery in the hospital. She'll be home tomorrow. She said, well, you know what? I'm going to make a hot dish. 
and I'm going to bring it over. And she brought that hot dish over, and every night that week, she brought over that meal. And at the end of that week, that woman said this. If that's the kind of church, I don't know what kind of church this person belongs to, but that's the kind of church it is, I'm going to bring my kids there. And so Rob Boyd talks about how the Hispanic Bible school was really started with a hot dish. It was really started with a hot dish. Well, I never forgot that story. And here's the point. Never underestimate what God might do through your faithfulness to mission. I believe a day will coming, a day's coming when we will we will see things that God used and the impact of that, and it will just blow us away. Father, we thank you this morning for <clears throat> just how you use this shipwreck on Malta to transform a nation. And Father, you can use our faithfulness to you to transform people and lives and even nations. So Father, might we be faithful to the mission of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the incredible love that you have for people. We just uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing this morning, I'd like to share some scripture with you from that young man, Paul, that we listened to again here today on the wall. And this is from uh, a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person somebody, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a great description of God's love for us. I invite you to stand as we sing. <clears throat>